All right. Well, welcome tonight. <clears throat> so because you're all sitting over here, if I turn and look over here, I'm going to be like, <laughs> somebody needs to sit over here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> kind of balances me out that way, you know. So when I get to start preaching really heavy, I'll just kind of <laughs> be under that way. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get going tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I'm just uh, so thankful tonight that uh, we get an opportunity to come and to uh, uh, hear your word, to be around believers, and uh, Lord, just to to be instructed uh, by you and your spirit, and uh, give us that guidance that we need for our day-to-day lives, for uh, pleasing you and uh, making sure that we glorify you with everything that we do. Pray, Lord, that uh, tonight you'd just be with me and uh, just uh, set aside my flesh that, Lord, this time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would just be ready to receive. And uh, um, if there's any conviction or correction, that, Lord, we'd respond to it. But above all, Lord, we would just uh, praise you for what you do and for what you've done for us and the salvation that uh, just makes all of this possible. I thank you again, Lord, for the blessings that we've received this day. And I just again, Lord, pray that this is all pleasing in your sight. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we left off uh, at James chapter 4. We got through James chapter 3. Um, again, talking uh, a bit about the... Um, the, the the part there in the last where it begins to discuss uh, peace. And I'm just going to kind of back up there uh, a little bit to verse 17, because again, uh, verse 17 and 18 are the segue right into uh, chapter, four, uh, chapter 4. And it says in James chapter 3, verse uh, 17, But the wisdom that is from above, that is from God, is first pure, then peaceable, and that's an important part to point out, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And it says right there in verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, obviously, we as believers, we are told to pursue peace and ensue it and to to go after peaceful things. That's what we're supposed to desire in our life. We're not supposed to desire conflict and strife and uh, just continual battle. Um, and it's important because the opposite of what peace is, is war, which leads right into the next chapter. So as he kind of goes through this and he starts talking about, uh, uh, um, uh, in, in chapter two, talking about the issues of partiality and some hypocrisy, getting into chapter three, discussing, uh, uh very clearly what God's expectation of our heart is that, uh, uh, what comes out of it would be, um, uh, out of our heart through our mouths would be the stuff that is going to obviously be pleasing unto him. And here he is talking about that speaking uh, with wisdom, uh, not with foolishness, which is, an, again, a very important principle. But here we are, we get into chapter 4, and he starts off with this, and he says, from whence, and he asks this question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence even of your own, of your lusts, uh, that war in your members. Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. So let's take a look at the first three verses here. I, I'm not sure we're going to get much past that, but we'll we'll give it a go. But again, uh, it, it, it's before we really get into this chapter, it, it's very imperative that we again understand who James is writing to. James is writing to believers. James is trying to get believers to understand, and if you will, be reflective of what's going on in their lives and pointing out some issues, specifically with Jewish believers here. And he's pointing out, you know, these problems, and he points out something that I want to say is not just relegated to, uh, if you will, Jewish uh, um, groups. If, if there's one thing that I do know about what goes on over in the Middle East is every group and every sect that is out there and every tribe and all of them, they're all at war with each other. I mean, you you, you go over to Lebanon and, and like I've said before, Lebanon used to be a nice garden spot to go vacation and then, uh, you know, Syria got involved and then all the, you know, the, the fighting ensued and Things started uh, uh, getting bombed and blown to pieces, and you know, yeah, Israel goes in there and they they do what Israel does best, and they level you know a few city blocks and uh, uh, to to ensure that uh, their northern borders are going to be safe from terrorism, and uh, they, so they're going through all of this, and 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 Lebanon is just war torn. But one thing that I know about it is it, the fact is is that they're all fighting amongst each other. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, on one hand, you've got the Druze who are kind of this, uh, what are like referred to as Coptic Christian sect that is over there. They're fighting against a, a Sunni Muslim group and a Shiite Muslim group. Uh, yet they're allied with the, the Israelis in helping those, th- uh, helping them uh, try to push some of the Hezbollah and the, at the time the PLO and getting them to, uh, be subdued and all that. But you see all that fighting going on. You see the fighting that has just recently, um, gone on over there, um, the civil war over in Syria. You find the fighting that went on, uh, earlier, um, uh, you know, in the, in this, uh, century. As we started over there with what they referred to as the, the, the Muslim spring or, uh, where they had all of those, uh, um, uh, Islamic brotherhood, uh, sects rising up and overthrowing governments, the turmoil that was in Egypt, what happened over in Libya with Gaddafi being overthrown. Uh, you find all of these and it's just this back and forth fighting that goes on and, and that's been going on for, for, for thousands of years. But you take a look at the nation of Israel, and if you will, it has picked up that same type of mentality from its neighbors. They're all fighting amongst themselves. You've got the the, the progressive uh, um, uh, Judaism, uh, which really is barely Jew, Jewish at all. Uh, you have uh, you know the, the moderates uh, that are just kind of there, kind of somewhat contemporary. You've got uh, obviously the ultra orthodox, and then you've got the ultra orthodox, and then you've got the fanatical groups that are out there, and uh, uh, they're all kind of, if you will, at war with each other, battling and fighting. 
We find that, that as you go over to um, the early church, you find that there was this debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're going back and forth, but they're Jews fighting amongst themselves. And if there's one thing that I see that is common in churches today, and, and, and I'll say, you know, from when I've been a young child, is that type of mentality has been pervasive with anything that God tries to do. Because it is a, it is a very much a military tactic, if you will, to go in and have an enemy divide itself and fight amongst itself. It is a lot easier to overthrow them. It is a lot easier to subdue them. It is a lot easier to destroy them. And we find that time and time and time and time and time again. And whether it's against one person in the group or whether it's one group against another group or whether it's cliques or whether whatever it is that it is, therein you will see the problem. And it's this right here. And, and, and James, again, being as blunt, kind of like his brother John, gets right to the point and says, here's the issue. The problem is you. <laughs> the problem is you. you. Here's the problem. You know, you're, you're lusting. And if we take a look at the, 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 the issue of lust, and we take a look at the sin of lust, we find that it is a very destructive type of sin. If you will, turn over to the book of Romans. Turn to Romans. And uh, turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is where, you know, Paul begins to establish um, what happens in life. uh, What what occurs. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 is where we'll pick up. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Because that's what the law does, is the law teaches what is right and what is wrong. We go back and look at the moral teachings of even the stuff that's back in the Old Testament, and we can find there are principles that we need to follow. Now, obviously, we don't follow some of the societal and the the, uh, uh, ceremonial stuff. That stuff was taken care of, the ceremonial and all of those offerings and things were taken care of by Jesus Christ dying on the cross and fulfilling all of that. Um, what we find also with the societal things is those things are set aside. Um, and we find that the moral law, though, is stuff that Jesus and he uh, repeats, Paul repeats, uh, the apostles repeat all of those things and teach them. And here we find one that Paul's talking about, and he's saying, if you will, what he refers to as his sin that really killed him was this issue of lust. And the law pointed out it's wrong. The law pointed out that it was a problem. And he says here in verse 8, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What happened there? Well, the innocency went away. 
He was separated from God by this death. He was dead in his trespasses and sins at this point. We see here as he continues on in, in this, and he says in, the, in verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, meaning that was to keep him alive, I found to be unto death. Why? Because it convicted him, because he violated it. And then it says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Now, the reason I have you take a look at this is because the consequence of that sin that he had, that he was talking about, being very transparent about it, was a lust sin. And what did it do? It caused death. Well, all sin causes death, but I want to show and point out that this one that Paul was dealing with, it was something that caused a problem in his life. And it causes a problem in our lives today. It causes a problem in the lives of these 12 tribes scattered abroad. And James begins to point it out. And he says, here is the problem. Here is the root of the issue. Many times, you know, when you go in for something with your health or you go in even for something with your car, you have a set of symptoms you go into the to the mechanic and you say uh the car is making a noise and then they go like what kind of noise and then you know it, it's always fun to sit there and listen to as people describe the noise well it's making a whoop 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 sound or it's making a thud 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 and then they go through all these different noises trying to mimic it and here's this mechanic somehow has to try to interpret this you know primitive guttural language <laughs> into oh that's your that's your transmission oh that's a tire out around or that's this that or whatever it is but they're all symptoms of what the problem is. And we've got to get to the source of what is causing the problem. Somebody has uneven tire wear. Well, it's not the tires that are the problem. I mean, they do need to be replaced, but it's something with the alignment, something with the suspension in the car that needs to be fixed. It needs to be corrected. So the same thing is here. What we see is that when we were beginning to realize he's talking to believers, he's saying this is a corrective thing that we need to go through. We're supposed to be seeking peace. We're supposed to be, uh, 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 if you will, sowing peace. We're supposed to be making peace. It's connected with righteousness. This is the right thing to do. But here's our problem. Here's what hinders us from achieving that goal. Here's what hinders us from pleasing God on a day-to-day basis. Here's why relationships deteriorate. Here's why there is strife in homes. Here's why there's strife in the workplace. Here's why there's strife in churches. It all comes down to this. And as he begins to describe this, you know, uh, obviously the, the, the Lord is pointing out exactly why conflicts occur in the world. And I, and I point this out to people and people start saying, well, you know, uh, I don't know if I believe in God because how could God let, uh, you know, World War II happen? Well, World War II happened because of James chapter four, verses one through three. World War, World War three that happens in our homes, that happens because James chapter four, verses one through three. In the churches, James chapter four, verses one through three. 
It's all these things that we begin to see and, and begin to realize. It, it, it's what happens in the world. It's what happens in relationships. It happens amongst believers. So here we are looking at all of this, and it gets down to this issue as where he talks about here in this first verse where he says, going back to James 4.1, even of your lusts that war in your members. And he's saying this is a problem with the heart again. We go back over and we realize as we study the issue with, uh, with the tongue and with words and our mouth and our lips, and we realize, hey, that's a heart issue because whatever comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. Scripture makes that clear. We, we looked at those verses. But here he's saying the reason why war happens is because of what's in our heart. If we have these desires, we've got to make sure our desires are in alignment with what God desires, specifically his will. What pleases him? Because let's be honest, what pleases us changes from moment to moment. It changes from moment to moment. You know, uh, you can enjoy uh, a certain kind of meal and you can just really just, you know, treasure that meal. But I guarantee you, if you get like a lot of it in a bit of a period of time, after a while, you're going to probably get all a little tired of it. And you're going to want something different. You know, it, 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 it seems like, you know, as, as people try to discern in, in what they want in this life, there is this issue of saying, hey, I want this moment of quick pleasure I want this moment of whatever it is to benefit me and it becomes the driving force behind their decision making in their life. We find it right here and he says, here's the reason why. And what happens is, is when we make a decision based off of our lust, there will be that consequence of fights and wars. And here's why. Not everybody likes the same thing. Not everybody likes the same thing. Could you, could you imagine, here you are, let's say, and let's just pick on a fairly well-known restaurant. Let's just say Olive Garden. You go into Olive Garden, and you sit down, and you're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy some some good pasta. And you're expecting some good Italian food. Now, whether you think Olive Garden's good or not, let's, that's irrelative, all right? Uh, 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 irrelevant. Um, so, so, so let's think about this for a second. But you go in and you sit down and the, and, and the waiter puts the water down and then hands you a menu and the menu is a post-it note and there's one item on there. And you look at it and you go, I'm not sure I wanted pasta primavera. You know, uh, you know, for me, pasta primavera would be death. There's a lot of things in that, that dish that want to kill me. And I'm like, do you have something else? Nope, that's it. 
Now, for some people, pasta primavera, they were like, ah, oh, I'm all over that. For somebody that, say, maybe has a dairy issue, if that only one thing on the list was fettuccine Alfredo, well, they're done. There becomes a problem. Not everybody can have the same things, and not everybody likes the same things. That's why when you go into certain restaurants, sometimes they've got a book for a menu, and sometimes they've got more than one or two options, because people want different things, not everybody wants the same thing. And what happens when there is this one, if you will, unified or one push for what one person wants, somebody is going to rebel and say, no, I don't want that. And the end result is conflict. Conflict. It's all about the desires of the heart. And what this leads to, if you will, as this book is being talking about faith, he points out that this leads to a, a faith that fails. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Faith has a certain byproduct. Faith has a certain uh, uh, fruit that is born of it. And, and it is a fruit of the Spirit itself. Uh, but what we begin to realize is this, is that, that if we have these things, like what we've got going on in, in chapter 3, it's going to affect us. And he's getting to this whole, <coughs> excuse me, this whole idea of, hey, faith without works is dead. He's saying, you know, you need to make sure it's manifest. If you say you have faith, then there should be a, there should be a direct fruit related to it that evidences that yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that yes, I want to do these things to please him, that yes, I'm going to do those good works that I'm ordained to, to, to do. I'm going to do those things versus just having garbage come out of us. But then here we are with this faith. And what kills our faith is the fact that it is our lust. Our desires. Because it goes directly against what God wants. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. <clears throat> he talks about here in verse 1, even your lusts that war in your members. Our lusts. What we want. It's not what God wants. And I'll tell you this, when you look at faith, you realize it's about what God wants. When Abraham was called and said, go into this land, that may not necessarily be what Abraham first wanted. But that's what God wanted for him to do. That was his plan. That was his design. That was his will for Abraham's life. And what did Abraham do? Abraham, being a friend of God, said, I will absolutely go and do that. I will trust you. I will see that blessing. Those are things that he began to, 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 to realize that, that this was beneficial to him. But it wasn't necessarily his desire until he switched, the, the, if you will, the heart to desire the things of God. 
There has to be that, 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 if you will, transformation about the way we think, about what our heart is affected by, all of these things that we see throughout scripture. There had to be a change. There had to be a change. And when these war and these lusts start coming up and all of these improper desires causes our faith to fail. And what happens is, is we wind up with works that are worldly. Go over the book of Galatians. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, in the last part of the chapter, we, we see that he talks about, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. But I want you to see how he begins to describe the things that are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. Because these are things that, you know, again, th- that we wind up seeing. And he says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the... Lust of the flesh. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual problem. In this day and age, people try to make things more physical rather than spiritual and ignore that component. God did not make man like the beasts. We have a soul and we uh, respond very differently. We don't have, if you will, that, that, uh, that instinct that they operate off of that God has put into them. We have something different. We have a soul. We have choice. We have decision making capabilities. We have all of these things that we can do. But as you go down here a little bit further in this, he says that in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And again, if you notice this, you know, he's talking about, and there's the capital S there on that spirit. Because what happens is, is what we lust is going directly against God himself, the Holy Spirit. It's contrary to him. And he says, and the spirit against the flesh. And what does that create? Well, if you've got flesh against the spirit and spirit against the flesh, what is that? What do we call it? It's called conflict. It's called conflict. Battle. And if there's one, I guarantee you this, if there's one way to really kind of mess up your life, pick a fight with God. It doesn't end well. It just doesn't. How, how do you, how can you even try to fight God? I mean, it's, it, it, I just kind of imagine somebody just getting so mad and upset that they would, it, it's like the cartoon where that, you know, one character runs up to the other one and the other one's the bigger, stronger one and just pushes against their forehead and that person's just sitting there swinging and swinging and swinging in the air, if you will, like Paul says, beating the air and he's just going for it and God's just holding back going, what in the world are you doing? Because <laughs> it's futile. It's futile. But he says these are contrary one to another in verse 17, so you cannot do the things you would. There's the problem. If we wonder why it is that we go over there to Romans 7 and, uh, you know, he goes through that whole dissertation about that he does what he doesn't and, or shouldn't do and he, but he does what he, and back and forth, you know, <clears throat> that tongue twister. 
getting the understanding of that he's again the conflict of he wants to do what is right, but he always does seems to do what is against God. And there's a desire to do what is right, but again, there's also this desire to do what is wrong. So he finds this battle, this war going on as he describes it. And if you will, James points that out too when he says that the lust that war in your members, not only is he talking about members as in group of a congregation, but also individually amongst ourselves. Because we are frequently at war fighting against those lusts, as he's talking about here. And it keeps us from doing what is right, what we're supposed to be doing. If we're supposed to be doing these things that God tells us to do, going out there, being a witness for him, pleasing him, telling people about Jesus Christ, being edifying, teaching, encouraging all of these things that we continue to talk about what a believer should be doing. Uh, and again, that's just the tip of the iceberg on some of the stuff that we, we should be doing. Uh, you know, he talks about what, what believers are supposed to do in next chapter, chapter six, fulfilling the law of Christ, bury one another's burdens, all these things. He says, what keeps us from doing that is the fact that we're too busy fighting this conflict. We're fighting a fight we shouldn't be fighting. Just like Josiah picked a fight with Pharaoh Nico when he shouldn't have. And Josiah paid the price for it. He died in battle. He didn't have to. That was his own decision. That was his choice. And Pharaoh Nico even warned him. He says, who are you? I got this message from God to go pick a fight with Babylon, not pick a fight with you. Josiah, I guess, wanted to prove something. The end result is, is he died. And he didn't, didn't, if you will, live longer into his reign like he could have. But we can't do the things that we're doing if we're too busy fighting other things. The body of Christ can't do what the body of Christ should be doing if it's too busy fighting itself. You ever see those diseases where the people have the neurological disorders? And there's a slew of them. Where their bodies are fighting against themselves? Parkinson's? ALS? MS? The list goes on. Bodies fighting themselves, fighting itself. Autoimmune diseases? All of a sudden your immune system thinks you're the problem. Without realizing that if it does that, it's going to die. You know, it begins attacking you. That's a, that, to quote that little meme, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Why in the world? I mean, we, it, it, that's the wrong battle to fight. He says in verse 18, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now look at this. This is what he describes Rather than fruit, which is something good and pleasant, he describes what the flesh does as work. One thing that we know is that our salvation is not of works. It is a gift of God, as it says. 
And he says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he's saying these things are very clearly evident. When it, when, when, when we do these things, it shows us that we're letting the flesh win. What is that? Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. And people go, Whew, man, I escaped that list so far. Uh-uh. Ah, uh-uh. uh-uh. Hatred. Variance. You know what variance is like? Variance is like the incontinency. You're all over the place. Blown about by every wind of doctrine. You have no foundation. One day you're over here and next day you're over here. People try to say, well, that's, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying this, you know, the way that the world often says it, but they will say, oh, that person's uh, bipolar. They're schizophrenic. Not understanding the true definition of those things and the true mental health issues that those are. But they try to take those and, and, and put that on there and they're like, oh yeah, you know, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, he's a, so, you know, ADHD or whatever it is. And, and those type of people that just can't seem to control themselves. This is what God's talking about. A person that is varying is a person that is just, you know what? They're affected by everything. They're affected by everything. I mean, just one little nudge and, you know, they're flying off the tilt whirl. They're gone. Variants. Emulations. You know what that is? Faking it. Acting like something you're not. Trying to emulate somebody. You go out there and you see that that's what the world's all about. You get these people that go out there and they think they're all this, you know, these, these, you know, this, this big stuff. I was, uh, watching an article because I was doing some research on, um, this issue of faking it and it brought up a subject of there is this, uh, person that is this influencer that her whole goal was she wanted to be super famous. So she figured that she could be super famous by just acting super famous. At one point in time, she invited herself to a red carpet celebrity affair, got all this expensive dress, got all made up and everything, walked on the red carpet, and she got angry at the photographers because the photographers weren't taking pictures of her. Because the photographers were like, who is that? This is some random person. She got upset with them. Emulation. She thought something, she thought she was something that she wasn't. A lot of people do that. A lot of people think of themselves more important than they really are. Sometimes people think their opinion is more important than than somebody else's opinion. I've always heard this. Take the P out of opinion and multiply it twice. You've got two onions and they're like armpits. They stink. (laughs) 
I, I don't know where I heard that from, but I just was sitting there going, ha, huh, that's a, a unique way of putting it. I've heard, you know, you know, again, I've also heard the shortened version, you know, uh, opinions, uh, opinions are like armpits. People usually have two of them and they both stink, you know, whatever it is. The problem is, is sometimes we think our opinion is more valuable. We're emulating something. Most dangerous thing is when we start trying to emulate God. Taking his stuff. Taking his glory. Taking what belongs to him. Those are problems. You know what that is? Those are, those right there, these issues, those are starting to get to the root of pride issues, problems, lust. What does that person want? That person wants attention. That person wants to quote unquote feel important. That's a problem. Wrath. We see a lot of that in the world today. Form of road rage. Strife. Strife. I look at our country, and our country is in the middle of strife. Everybody is at each other's throats. And, and, you know, and you can't even say anymore that it's left and right or Democrat and Republican. Why? Because the Democrats are at the Democrats' throats and the Republicans are at the Republicans' throats. And everybody's against everyone else and nobody can seem to, to get on the same page because everybody what? Everybody thinks they're important. So nobody can agree. Strife. Sedition. Sedition is a dangerous thing. You know, we look at seditions, and I always think of, uh, you know, some of the military terms specifically within the Navy of mutiny. All of a sudden, let's rise up against somebody that that God put in charge. That's a problem. There's seditions in families. Children rising up against parents. There's seditions in the workplace, rising up against, you know, managers, trying to get them fired because they don't like the way that they do it. Now, look, I understand there are managers that are jerks. There are managers that are hard to get along with. But the Bible says that we're supposed to try to dwell peaceably among, you know, I'm butchering the verse, but paraphrasing it here. We're supposed to dwell peaceably among all men. That should be what we default to. Not seditious behavior. Heresies. Heresies are flying all over the place. Like I said, you know, it just, it just made me sick to watch people, you know, a couple Sundays ago, they were doing the whole, you know, Super Bowl Sunday and these pastors are getting on the stage and they're actually physically kicking a Bible across the stage like a football. It just disgusted me. That was only part of it. And the heretical part of it is they say that God's pleased with that. I don't think he's pleased at all with it. I think it makes him angry. And again, last thing you want to do is make God angry. 
Just go ask a few of the Israelites over there in the book of Numbers. <laughs> when, when, the, when the wrath of God was kindled against them, you're like, that is a verse that I don't even want to know the full understanding of. Because that's not a place that I ever want to be. Envyings. Again, there's a lot of that going on today. These are all works of the flesh. Murders. People are talking about, oh, you know, hey, you know, murders, murders, uh, uh, you know, we have less violent crime and stuff like that. And I'm like, ah, I don't think so. We see more and more of it. And again, if we want to get technical and really get to it, let's just make sure we throw in all the abortions in there as murder as well. Drunkenness. Drunkenness is promoted. It's made fun of. It's like something you're supposed to do. It's like, hey, you know, I, I've had conversations with workers and they, they ask a question like, hey, you know, did you go out this weekend? Do you do something? This is a long time ago. And I'm like, no, I didn't do anything. And they're like, oh, you know, you didn't go out and go to a party or do something. And I'm like, no. And they're like, do you, do you party? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I, 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 just, I just don't live that life. And, and then they start asking the questions and inevitably it comes down to it. They'll, they'll flat out ask me. They're like, have you ever had a drink? And I'll just look at them and go, no. And, and, and they're floored. They're shocked. They're like, what in the world? How? And I'll tell them. I'll tell them about my history on my grandfather's side. There's nothing worse than a drunk Scotsman. I'm sure people can probably argue there's drunk Irishmen, drunk Italians, and so on and so forth that are worse, but my dad experienced that. I don't want to even come near the stuff that caused so much hurt and pain. Drunkenness. The world revels in that. Because look at what it says. Revelings. That's the next one. People reveling in their own iniquity. Promoting it. Flaunting it. Being proud of it. Pushing it in people's face. But oh, good night. We mentioned Jesus Christ and we're pushing religion. And in case he didn't cover anything that you were involved in, he says, and such like. <laughs> Just in case. But we see here, and I want to point that out, he calls this, this is the work of the flesh. And this is going back to James chapter 4. This is what that work becomes when the lust is involved. Because we see right in there, the, the, as he says, the strife, the 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 uh, the, um, the strife, the seditions, the wrath, all those things, things that are, if you will, violent in their form. And here he's saying, here's the reason why. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Go to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Go to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Take a look at a couple of things. 
you know, when we start taking a look at the lust of the heart, we find that um, there's some interesting connections. In the book of Proverbs, and again, if you're wanting to know what the consequences certain actions have, the uh, book of Proverbs is good for searching that out. Proverbs chapter 13 is where we'll start, Proverbs 13 and verse 10, and we'll fly through these fairly quickly, because again, I want us to get a general understanding of this. I don't want to spend too much time all on verse 1, but it looks like we might. In verse 10 of Proverbs chapter 13, it says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Well, God just points out right there why all of the fights start in the first place. Because one person got proud and said something, and the other person got offended, and it hurt their pride. So what happens? Now people start swinging. Now people start landing blows. And sometimes it's either verbal blows or it's physical blows. But one or the other, they start causing some contention, some issues. Only by pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17 and take a look at verse 14. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is as when one laddeth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. This is a verse that everybody should have memorized. The beginning of strife is when as one laddeth out water. What happens when you just let out a bunch of water out of a spigot really quick? It comes out violently and fast violently and fast. And here he says, this is what you need to do. Leave off contention. You see that a contention is going to start brewing. If something's going to come up between you and somebody else, he says, leave it alone. Walk away from it. Don't be involved in it. Because he says, you don't need to meddle with it. I like how God uses that word meddle. Because that's exactly what we do. When somebody meddles with something, it's something that they're really not supposed to be involved in in the first place. Ever have anybody meddle in your life? It happens. Whether it's in-laws or outlaws, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, family members, uh, co-workers, somebody starts meddling in your life, you don't like it because it's like none of your business. God's saying this, contention is none of your business, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, and take a look at verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, for his mouth calleth for strokes. This matches exactly what we're talking about over there with chapter 3 and chapter 4. Why? Because he's sitting there saying, I want to be viewed a certain way. I want to be important. I want you to say nice things about me. It's the lust. And the Bible calls this person that does this entering into contention to get that, to, if you will, win a debate, win an argument. But God calls him a fool. A fool. Take a look over at uh, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. 
verse 17, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let people, had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. I mentioned this the other day, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Now I want to point this verse out because this is exactly what happens. God was preserving the nation of Israel, keeping them away from the Philistines. While it was the quicker route, God knew what was going to happen. God knew that all of a sudden they were going to go, no, change our mind, we're going back because we're sick and tired of fighting. We're going to go back to the world. And I will tell you this, when I see fighting in people uh, in amongst believers in the church, you know what typically happens with a lot of the people that get involved in the fight? They go right back to the world. They go back to the worldly desires. They go back to the things that are against God. Why? Because they're just sick of the fighting. And if that's the way Christians are, I might as well just be counted with the world. That's a sad thought to think about. Finally, take a look over in First Peter. All the way back the other direction in First Peter, <clears throat> chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2, and in verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against, your so- war against the soul. Peter just flat out calls out, calls him out and says, abstain. Abstain. The default should be, no thank you. The default should be, nope, you, gross, stay away from it. The default should be, run like Joseph. That's what the default should be. He makes it very clear here. He says, look, we're strangers and pilgrims. Why? Because this world is not our home. This is temporary. My home is in eternity. My home is with Jesus Christ. I long to be there, but I know it's important to be here. But I may live here for the moment, I'm not going to, you know, if you will, the, uh, uh, frag this life for the, for the sake of, you know, trying to live eternally, uh, in my mindset. I need to live for the Lord here. But as a stranger in pilgrim, I need to understand I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through and I need to abstain from the fleshly lusts. Why? Because they war against the soul. The reason why we have so many mental health issues in the United States of America, and I dare say the world, is because of James chapter 4. Because the conflict that has created the mental health issue is a disregarding of the desires of our Savior. What He wants. When God created man, his desire was that man would be pleased, that man would live in happiness and joy and perfection in his creation. But sin messed that up. 
Sin destroyed it. Eve looked at it and said, that looks good, was deceived. Adam knew exactly what was going to happen and partook. Sin entered in. Sin entered in. It wars against the soul. There's conflict. Why? We find that out because right there, right after the fall, you've got Genesis 4. And what happens with Genesis 4? you got Cain versus Abel. Conflict. So soon out of the garden, conflict erupts between brothers. Brothers. And one dies at the hand of the other. And it's sad to think about that. But that's what happens and occurs. It wars against the soul. Take a look at verse 2, going back to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 2. Here he points out and he says, um, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and ye cannot obtain. You fight in war and you have not because you ask not. One of the most ridiculous things that I think people fail to realize is that war really doesn't accomplish what they think it does. People sit there and think, well, I, if I go to war, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. Well, the problem is, is it creates a lot of problems. You know, you, you, you see countries trying to expand when wars were going, or, you know, and wars still happen because of that, uh, today, but they, they try to get something that they can't, and then they get caught in a state of perpetual war, and their citizens pay for it. And they never are able to obtain what they really truly want. Because the whole idea and the concept behind this is, well, if I have all this land, and if I'm ruler, then we'll finally have peace. And here God's pointing out and saying, you're warring for peace and you're never going to obtain it. Because it's, if you will, a bit of an oxymoron to say the best way to obtain peace is by fighting. Because you'll always be in a state of fighting in order to obtain that peace. It becomes the unreachable goal. It's the goalpost that keeps moving. It's it, it, it becomes impossible, as he points out here. And he says, you desire to have and cannot obtain. And it frustrates, it causes people to get angry and wrathful, lash out because they can't get what they want. And it creates, if you will, emotional problems, spiritual problems, physical problems, all of these things, because they can't. They can't get it. And you know what? It's never enough anyways. Even if they're to obtain part of it and it satiates for a while, they want more and they're just never able to fully satisfy themselves. Here they are fighting for peace. They're never going to get it. 
here they are fighting to satisfy themselves and to, if you will, please themselves. And they can never do that because what we used to please them no longer pleases them. They need more and more and more and more to the point of where it consumes them. Just like an addiction. Just like an addiction. <clears throat> you know, often is the case we get so desperate to achieve something or to reach a certain goal or obtain a specific thing, we completely forego God and his will and his desires and his processes. And we use our own power to do it. The problem is, is our power is weak compared to the power of God. I was having a discussion with a pastor friend of mine not too long ago, and we were talking about a situation, and and he said the sad thing is, is he says that in in this situation, he says they're doing it without God, and we know that there's still a little bit of a power in men to accomplish certain things, but it will never fully be fulfilled according to what God's desire is. And rather than accomplishing it, they're going to have to be satisfied with something that is, if you will, far less than what God ever intended it to be. And that's the sad thing that we see here with this verse, that this is what happens and occurs. Because they never go to God to ask for it. They never inquire if it's the right thing for them to even have. They never go to him and say, is this your will for my life? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm supposed to uh, want? Is this, is this truly what you're, you're, you're revealing to me is, 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 is for me? They never ask for that. They never ask or inquire. They never, they never want to know. They just begin to assume. And there's a problem with assumptions. There is a sin behind it in many cases. When we attempt to do this, and we attempt to do it in our own power, um, and we attempt to, to accomplish it by any means necessary, and this is basically what he's talking about here, when he says, you lust me, have not, Here's the problem. I want it, but I can't get it. So what do I do? I kill because I have to have it, but I still can't even get it then. What happens is we escalate. It becomes any means necessary. I will get that. I will obtain it. I will accomplish it. And the end result is we blow everything up. It's just like when Lucifer said, I will five times to God. I will five times with five things he will never be able to accomplish. Yet he sits there and fights all day long to try to get it. And what happens is a lot of people become casualties. A lot of people are affected by it. And he murders and lies to get what he thinks he can get 
but he's never going to be able to obtain it. But it all comes down to that last phrase here, because ye ask not. It all predicates on whether or not we're going to the Lord to ask him, is this truly your will? And a lot of times people will ask, and we'll get to that Lord willing next, next week where he says, you ask amiss, because sometimes people will say, Lord, if this is your will, I want you to have a big giant sign in the sky. God doesn't do that. Well, if, you, if it's your will, then, then, then you need to, to do this and this and this, and then I will know it's your will. That's not the way God works. Well, if you answer it this way, then I will know. That, look, we don't get to demand to God what what's going to happen and how he's going to answer. There's the problem. We ask amiss. And we'll get into this next week. The reason that <clears throat> things sometimes don't get answered or we don't think they get answered is because they've already been answered and we just never looked. They're, they're in scripture and we've just never looked. And people have often said, well, why doesn't God talk to me directly? Because he did. It's right here. He wrote it all down. He wrote it all down so you don't have to try to remember it. You ever try to remember what somebody told you? That ever happened? You're sitting there going, oh, I know they told me to do something, but I can't remember what it is. And you sit there for five minutes and then you think you know how to do it and you got half of way it done. And then the person comes and says, what are you doing? I'm doing what you told me. I didn't tell you to do that. What? <laughs> God wrote it down so we can easily remember it. We can easily reference it. He made it easy for us. He made it easy for us. You know what they had to do before they had the Bible? <laughs> they had to remember it. They had to repeat it. They had to memorize it. I can just imagine a bunch of Levites out there. Okay, all right, let's recite the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Who knows number one? Thou shalt not kill. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> They had to remember all those things. The word of God wasn't as readily available as what we have today. And that's why this is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given to his, his creation. Written, inspired, preserved, perfect. We get to know it. Praise God for it. Next week, we'll take a look a little bit more about asking amiss, but let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for just continuing to teach us and guide us and direct us. And Lord, I pray that we would just be reflective as we go through this and realize that our conflicts and our strife that we often go through is because of the issue of lust and pride. And Lord, I pray that we would just be believers that endeavor to please you, to uh, do your will, to set aside our will, Lord, to set aside and, if you will, kill our own pride and to, again, Lord, glory in you and what you have done for us and, again, glorify you in all that we do. 
that, Lord, we would please you. And Lord, again, I just thank you again for those that are here tonight. Pray you take us home safely. And these things I ask in your son's precious and most holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.